nugget encouragement. And, you know, I was on one vein last week, and that's how my brain does. I'll go down another vein this week. So um, I just wanted to go Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And then this morning I was looking for another scripture. But um, Proverbs 3, 9, and 6 is 3, 5, and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your path. And a lot of people just kind of give up sometimes because they accept the mentality of what was done to them, you know. And what was done to them, oh, well, this is just my life because of what was done to me. And they don't realize how powerful they are because you don't want to give someone that kind of power over your life to determine or not whether you're happy because you've trusted in the wrong person. And so we always want to shift our focus and shift our trust to God. I mean, people will make promises left and right. People will let you down. We may let you down, but God will never let you down. And it's not that we don't trust people or have a good friend or an inner circle or anything like that. But ultimately, I remember one time I was trusting in so many things at one area, but it wasn't God. And I, I was like, well, if this will happen and, and that. And, and he's like, well, who are you looking at? I mean, I heard that. Who are you, who are you looking at? And, and my focus was on the wrong thing. And, and you know, we're kind of going through that now. It's like, you know what? We just have to give this to God. He's the one. You know, Lord, I acknowledge you. You have been with me no matter where I've been, no matter what I've done. You've always been with me. I acknowledge you in this situation, and I trust you, and you're going to direct our path. You know, I'm not going to give anyone or anything the kind of power that's going to determine my happiness, my direction, which this way, left, right. And so stop depending and trusting and then becoming into bondage over with people. Um, start believing and trusting in his promises because this is a scripture I was looking for because he watches over his word to perform it. So whatever he says, if his promises are yes and amen, and you agree with that, he's going to perform that. So Lord, I trust you. I'm going to lean into you and trust that no matter what you said, no matter what someone else says, or what, no matter what I say, I believe what you said. And your promises are yes and amen. So you, you realize how powerful you are and don't let anyone determine your happiness. Let God determine that. And he, he has good plans for you. Amen. So, I mean, I know that wasn't anything from last week or uh, what I was saying, but I just felt like someone needed to hear. They need to let go of some things and let, you know, quit, quit holding on to past things or past hurts or what someone has done and determining, you know, because that just creeps right in and, and it and can cause you to get your focus off. And he wants us to move forward and walk with him and trust in him and lean into his grace and mercy and just, you know, dig into the word, feed on him. And then he's going to direct your path. Amen. Okay. So that's what I wanted to say. I just Let me pray real quick, though. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day, Lord. We just want to acknowledge you today. We want to thank you today. We love you. We honor you. Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who abides and lives in us. We ask you to open our ears and open our eyes and open our hearts to receive what your word says today. Lord, thank you for touching our lips and whatever comes out of you. Anoint that, God, because we already anointed. We have an anointing. Father, people in Grace Life Church in the building right now have an anointing that what they say, Father, is anointed and they're going to help someone today. Um, they're going to turn their focus to you, God. We're going to look to you, lean into you, and we honor you and praise you and trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. Trust in the Lord. That's what I'm doing right now. 
as I stand before all of these smiling faces that are awake and excited. I'm prophesying right now. <laughs> Get your Bibles out if you would, your smart devices. If you have a smartphone and you're using that this morning and you want to tag somebody, let them know that we are live and we're about to teach this morning. I think it will encourage them. Uh, share that on your social media as well. Let somebody know uh, what's going on. Lisa just prayed, but let's stay in that vein of prayer for just a second. Um, Kathy Gabuti's grandson, Kathy and Brad's grandson, Lane, um, was beat at school this past week. Ended up in the emergency room, was admitted to the hospital. They found some issues with his heart that probably weren't related, but he did have a blood clot, but that uh, has gotten better. He is home, but he still needs prayer. He's got to go back to that same school. Let's just pray that these situations for Lane will improve and get better uh, and that when those bullies try to attack him, he'll see, they will see his big brother standing behind him and for him. Amen. In the name of the Lord. Uh, also, uh, Alice's mother fell this week. She broke her hip. She had to have surgery and she's facing going to a nursing home for rehab for the next several months. Pray for Alice and for her mother as they uh, go through all of that. I know there's a lot of other things. Wendy's mom is still um, needing much, much prayer. She needs a miracle uh, in her life. Her body has um, rejected and is not accepting antibiotics, and she's been diagnosed with an infection that is life-threatening, and antibiotics aren't taking care of it. So we need the Lord to step in, and I'm sure that you could acknowledge by an uplifted hand anything that you're going through and a request that you have Yes, that we know that the Lord knows about before we ever ask. So before we get into the word this morning, can we agree in prayer together as we declare and decree that it is finished and by his stripes these situations are taken care of and they are healed. So Jesus, thank you for all that you have done for us. I just can't say thank you enough. And we're thanking you in advance as we decree this morning and declare that Lane is whole, well, and healed in his body and in his emotions. We decree this morning by the words of faith that Alice's mother and Wendy's mother are whole, well, and healed. You saw all of these hands that uh, they represent all types of needs. And you are the one who will supply. You are the answer. You're the truth, the way, and the life. And we look to you today. And as Lisa said, we lean into you and not our own understanding and we acknowledge that you are directing our paths. Thank you for anointing us and performing what your word says it will do in Jesus' name. And all God's people agreed and said, Amen. Amen. Well, traditionally in America, we have gathered around the table with our family and our friends and we have been taught invaluable lessons. I mean, at least I grew up around the table where I learned manners. I learned to say please and thank you and no ma'am and yes sir. And uh, that's missing a lot in this generation. I see kids don't even know how to open the door for their elders anymore. Uh, it's just a respect thing. But I learned how to serve at the table. Uh, you know, pass me the biscuits. And my dad would say, what's the magic word? Now, <laughs> no, please, 
I learned how to wash the dishes because there's dirty work that goes on behind the scenes, and I still like to wash dishes, and um, you won't find many dirty dishes in our sink at our house, and uh, <laughs> Brett said amen. But it wasn't much different in Jesus' day. He gathered around the table and shared meals with people all through the Gospels. And in doing so, he taught invaluable lessons uh, to those that he came in contact. Sometimes even his critics and his enemies learned uh, from him. And definitely his disciples learned from him. And as a matter of fact, it states in Scripture over in Luke's Gospel, if you want to turn there to the 7th chapter, verse 34, this is one of the intentional purposes that Jesus came for. Now, if you would study the Gospels, you would find out definitely, he said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. Do you agree that he said that? That's, that was one of the purposes that he came to do. In another place, it says that he came to redeem the lost house of Israel, to bring them back to himself. But one of the things that we don't really pay attention to but was an intentional purpose of Christ as man on the planet is found in Luke, the seventh chapter, verse 34, and he says, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. So one of the purposes of Christ, and I love it because I have that same purpose, is to eat. Nobody likes food but me in the house, and it's obvious, but... Jesus came eating and drinking so much so that those around him, if you'll look at the scripture, they said, look, he is a glutton and a wine-bibber and a friend of tax collectors and sinners, which means he was sharing a meal with the outcast and the looked over and the marginalized and the socially unacceptable because he had a purpose of coming to eat and drink, I have a question for you this morning. When is the last time that you purposely had a meal with a sinner? Hmm. He had a purpose in meeting at the table and then teaching at those gatherings. Um, the Gospels are full of these examples and these stories, but in Luke's Gospel is where we will be for the month of October, so I encourage you, to read through Luke's gospel, you will find nine different uh, encounters or events that Jesus shared a meal with different groups of people. Sometimes it is in the reference and it says at the table, and other times it is implied that he was at the table. We're going to look at one of those implications this morning in Luke's gospel, the 19th chapter. So just kind of hold steady, that's where we're going to go, but I want to give you some background this morning, okay? I want to speak gracefully and tactfully to you this morning. I want to be transparent from my heart to really share on a topic that in these days and times, as it always has been and still is, it's difficult to, to talk about, but we, it needs to be taught because it's in the scriptures and Jesus taught this lesson um, and our main character today is Zacchaeus. Uh, he was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. At least that's what we learned in uh, Sunday school. Did you ever sing that song in Sunday school? But he was short of stature. But <clears throat> I want to remind you this morning of one of Papa's precepts. So what's a precept? 
We're going to find out here in just a second she's not wrong. But Genesis, the eighth chapter, verse 22, is one of these precepts or principles. And it says that as the earth endures or remains, and I believe in a world where an earth without end, that, that's my opinion from what I gather in the scriptures. So as long as the earth remains, there will, there will be seed time and harvest. In other words, if you plant a seed, you will reap a harvest. Keep that principle, that precept in your heart and your mind as we go through the message this morning. Now a precept is a guiding principle. It's a guiding principle that's established in the kingdom of God on the earth and then it gets established in us as truth and we follow it. I'm not talking about a law or command or a requirement. I'm talking about a principle. The principle of seed time and harvest works whether you apply it to your life or not. It's still an established principle within the kingdom of God and I'm not just talking about money, although it does work with money. Okay, But don't get in your mind this morning from the get-go that I'm trying to get something out of your pocketbook or your pocket. Okay, All I'm trying to do is to tell you that there is a precept, a principle that has been established in the kingdom of God that still works today. And that principle that has been established in us becomes a truth and then we follow that truth and what, do, what happens when you know the truth? It sets you free. And there are some areas in our life where we need to take this precept of God and we need to, or the kingdom of God, and establish it as truth in our own lives. And then we will see the process of how things work in the order of the kingdom of God. You don't reap without planting. Now, the benefit of being in the new covenant is we get to reap where we didn't sow because he sowed for us. But it's still the principle that works because a seed was sowed. Unless a seed dies and is placed in the ground, it won't bring forth fruit. He died. He was the seed, which was the word of God, and he was the first born forth from many brethren who would come out of the grave. So it's a precept. It's a principle. And now one of these principles, these precepts, is the subject of seed time and harvest. Seed time is one word, but you could really say it this way. Seed, time, harvest. You plant a seed, then there is a period of time before you reap the harvest. Now, I don't know about you, but I am seeing a lot of pictures, images right now on social media, on billboards, on commercials that uh, are reminding me that it is harvest time. Come on, somebody. I see the horn of plenty. That It's the abundance of God. I'm seeing these pumpkins and these vegetables and all of the harvest, the corn, and everything that has been harvested. This is the, the season of harvest here in the October. Matter of fact, uh, Halloween was first, uh, it was established, and it was the priest would receive portions of the harvest of the farmers at their front door. 
And then he would give that out to different people in the community, and that's why we go door to door today getting candy, but it was really first the harvest that the farmers had received. But there was seed that was planted. Then there was time before the harvest. Now Jesus has planted, Grace Life has planted many, many seeds. Uh, we've planted seeds in Africa. We've planted seeds in India. We've planted seeds in Mexico. We've planted seeds in Haiti. We've planted seeds in Berkeley Springs and Louisville, Kentucky and Flowery Branch, Georgia. We've planted seeds, financial seeds, into the kingdom of God in well-established ministries that are fruitful and that are profitable on our seeing the lost, the gospel is being preached, and the gifts that you've given have been placed as seeds into the fertile soil of the kingdom of God. Now we're just in this season of time, and I feel the Holy Ghost all over me right now, but there is a harvest that is about to come because you can't get away from the precept that has been established in the kingdom of God. Mm. Now keep that in mind. Okay, keep that in mind. Now let's go to our text of Luke the 19th chapter. If you're not familiar with the story, I'll summarize it very quickly for you. I told you Zacchaeus is our main character here. He is a short of stature man and he is criticized, ridiculed, uh, looked over. He's an outcast because he is a tax collector. He is an agent of the IRS, and just like the agents of the IRS today that are hated, Zacchaeus was hated because of his position, because he was collecting taxes. Now, the problem that uh, increased the ridicule uh, and the mistreatment of Zacchaeus was he was not just a tax collector, he was a cheating tax collector. So if the government said, I need to collect 5% from you, he was demanding 10% from you because he was putting 5% in his pocket. So he was a cheater. He was a tax collector. He was looked over. His peers didn't affirm him. His own family had disregarded him according to historical context. But he hears about Jesus. And he hears that Jesus is coming and passing through Jericho. And I could preach a whole lot on just where Jesus is coming from, where he is going to, and the type of tree that Zacchaeus climbs up into. It's an inferior fig tree. It's called a sycamore tree. And Jesus cursed the fig tree because it didn't bloom. And that represents the old covenant because Adam tried to cover himself with fig leaves from an inferior tree. And that tree wasn't going to work anymore, but so before Jesus is crucified, on Tuesday of Passion Week, he curses the fig tree, and he says, you're not going to bear any fruit, you never did bear any fruit, it's not going to work that anyway. And Zacchaeus is trying on his own efforts to see and to find Jesus, and he climbs up into a sycamore tree. But verse 5 says that as he's in that tree and Jesus is passing by, look at verse 5, Jesus stops, he looks up into the tree, and he says, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest, circle that word guest, highlight that word guest in your Bible. I must be a guest in your home today. I believe that Jesus is saying to you, Quick, come on over. I'm going to be a guest in your house today. And it's not just a visitation, it's a habitation. He's taken up residence. He said, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will 
open the door. Look what he says to him if you'll open the door. I will come in and I will sup with you. I will have a meal with you. We will sit down at the table. Jesus has never stopped knocking on the door of people's hearts because the Son of Man came eating and drinking and he still wants to have a meal with you today. That's good stuff. Why did I have you highlight the word guest? Why did I have you to underline the word guest? Because in the Greek, and I will not attempt to say the word in the Greek, because with my hillbilly accent, it won't come out right at all. But the context and the meaning of this word guest here in the Greek means to lean, to lie, or to sit down at the table. It means to recline at a meal, to dine, or to eat together. So when Jesus said, I'm coming to your house, he just didn't say, Zach, I'm going to come over and we're going to have a conversation. No, he said, I want to eat a meal with you. I want to recline at the table. I want to sit down. I want to have a conversation. We're going to fellowship together. Folks, let me tell you something. On Wednesday nights, if you can make the effort to get here, we are building community. We're having food at the table. We're fellowshipping with one another. It's fun. We're getting to know each other. And we're having discussion. And we're learning a few things. Not just about each other, but about the Lord and what He's doing in our lives. And it's a wonderful time of fellowship. Now, I know that people have left us recently because they said that all we do is we come in on Sunday morning, we really don't get to fellowship with each other, and we don't do anything. Well, we have purposefully established that we're not teaching Bible lessons and anything on Wednesday nights. We're having fellowship and we're getting to know each other as family. Come on. Why? Because if Jesus purposefully came eating and drinking, we want to purposefully have a meal together. Let's rest. Let's sit down. Let's relax with one another. You can teach me something. I can teach you something. We can encourage each other through the week. But as the story continues, Zacchaeus comes down. The Bible says there that he took Jesus into his house with great excitement and great joy. If Jesus invited himself to your house literally, physically right now, today, if he would walk into the room and say, Darius, I want to have lunch with you today at your house, would you be excited about that? Now, I would be too, but I'm telling you, there was a time and a point in my life where I would not have been. I would have been scared to death. Jennifer's shaking her head. Why? Because I was afraid that I had not read enough, prayed enough, fasted enough, given enough, attended church enough, and that all he would do was to sit down and tell me about all of my sins and all that I needed to do so that I could be a better person. And that's not who Jesus is at all. And Zacchaeus had heard so many good things about Jesus. Man, why isn't the world hearing good things about Jesus? Why isn't the church demonstrating and illustrating and telling the good news? The gospel was not bad news. It's good news. And people should be hearing so much good news from the church that the churches are full because they want to meet this Jesus that all these Christians are talking about. Well, Zacchaeus had heard about him. And when Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house, he's full of excitement and joy. And he says, come on, let's go. Now, unfortunately, we don't have um, the transcript of the dialogue or the menu of that dinner and that conversation, but we do have, from the historical context and from the cultural context, 
we do know that they were eating a meal together and they were reclining at the table. And while at the table sharing this meal, at some point in the meal, verse number eight comes into play. Chapter 19, verse eight. Zacchaeus stands up and he looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, I, here and now I'm going to give half of my possessions, do it again, Lord, to the poor, that went over your heads, and if I have cheated, he knew he had cheated. So I'm going to repay anyone that I've cheated. I'm going to give back to them four times what I stole from them. Um, we can learn a lesson from Zacchaeus here. He had learned a lesson at the table. Again, I don't know what the dialogue was between he and Jesus. But he has learned a lesson of generosity. There was a transformation of his heart that took place sitting at that table, reclining with Jesus and eating, so much so that the conversation led to take a cheater who was hoarding and stealing from people and instantly transform his heart to all of a sudden he's going to give half of all of his money away and if he's cheated anybody, he's going to repay them four times what he took from them. That's generosity. And it's in the blink of an eye that his heart is transformed because of an encounter at a meal with Jesus. Hmm. Look at the screen, please. Make a mental note of this. Take a picture of it. Write it down. Generosity is a matter of the heart, not a matter of the wallet. Because you can have a whole lot in your wallet and not be generous. And you can have very little in your wallet and be very generous. Because it's not a matter of the bank account or the pocketbook. It's a matter of the heart. Now I don't hear, I don't see, and again we don't have the context to know whether Jesus said anything to Zacchaeus. But knowing Jesus and seeing him throughout the rest of the Gospels, there is not a demand or a command or a requirement placed upon Zacchaeus to be accepted by Jesus. Jesus has simply said by having a meal with him, Zacchaeus, I love you, I accept you, I affirm you. And because of that one act of the grace of God through Jesus, Zacchaeus is transformed. I would say more than likely because I've experienced it that Zacchaeus' heart had been hardened because of the hurt that he had been through by those who were persecuting him because of his position. Last week we talked about church hurt. Can't tell you how many phone calls and text messages that we have had. Even one with a very, very dear, close personal relationship that I have with someone who said that they have made phone calls this week to release people who have hurt them in the past. Incredible. Incredible. I wish I could tell you the story about it. But Zacchaeus's heart had been hardened, but because the encounter at the dinner table with the master, his heart melts. See, Jesus is a heart melter. He's not just a heart mender, but he's a heart melter. Because when our hearts get hardened because of the hurt, the only thing that... We, we have too many sermons that have been preached. Have you heard enough sermons? I've heard enough sermons for a lifetime. Nothing wrong with those. 
but it wasn't until I encountered this loving, kind, gracious Jesus that my heart melted and there was a transformation that took place. See, because for years I searched and I sought within a religious institution to have my hurts healed. And God did use that institution, but it wasn't till I opened up and through circumstances and situation was humbled enough that when you're at the bottom and there's no place else to go, you just say, here am I, Lord, help me. And he begins to reveal to you his true identity, and the more we know about this loving, kind Jesus, the more we'll learn about ourselves and our identity in him, and it will melt our hearts. But at that table, Jesus affirmed and accepted Zacchaeus, and immediately he becomes generous. Generosity is a normal response to the goodness of God. You can tell me how good God is, but a normal response to the goodness of God flows out of generosity. And remember, this precept doesn't just deal with finances. The generosity of love that flows out of us to other people. Uh, The generosity of grace, because grace awakens a desire to give. Again, not just $5, but it awakens within you to give what you have been given. His generosity, Zacchaeus' generosity was voluntary. I can't command you to be generous. I can try to put a requirement on you to be generous and attach all types of punishments and curses to it, but that's not grace. That's not the kingdom. See, the word generous is a verb in the Greek, and it refers to a spontaneous giving with the emphasis, excuse me, with the emphasis on being ready to reach out with open hands. It's a willing sharing with a liberal attitude. Some of you conservatives need to become liberal in your attitude towards being generous. So listen, this act of grace that Jesus displayed as a guest in Zacchaeus' house brought him affirmation and acceptance and a spontaneous response was a willingness to give. It's amazing that all of a sudden this cheater who's been robbing from people for years with one encounter at a dinner, see, I believe that his guard was let down when they started eating. He saw Jesus take a drink of the wine and he takes a drink of the wine and Jesus takes a bite of the bread and he takes a bite of the bread and then they have filet mignon on the side with some potatoes and then all of a sudden I'll be back in just a few minutes. Go get me something to eat. I'm hungry. But it broke down the barriers and all of a sudden he's, his heart is being transformed and voluntarily and spontaneously he, get, he begins to give. Matthew the 10th chapter verse 8 says freely you have received freely give. One of the things that breaks my heart is when church people have received and received and received from the grace of God but they're unwilling to give freely that same grace to others when they encounter a tough situation. And speaking from a position of a pastor especially to those in leadership. They're not given grace when they make a mistake and when they fall. 
freely we want to give you grace, but let's have some grace. Now, I'm not talking about letting people live in blatant uh, adultery and things like this. I'm talking about when you are doing, if, as an effort of trying to lead and you make a mistake, I don't fall out of grace. I, fall, I should be falling into grace. And so freely we give, or freely we have received, so freely we should give. Love, kindness, tenderness, long-suffering, mercy. I'm not just talking about sowing seeds of finances, although that works in the precept that I'm talking about, but it also works when you sow kindness. Guess what you're going to get back? When you, the whole, even the world is into these sowing forward, paying it forward, giving an act of kindness to someone else because it'll come back on you. They're not wrong because it's a precept of the kingdom of God that he's established as long as the earth remains. That's right. Amen. Guilt only produces resentment and rebellion. If I get up here and tell you a sad sob story and twist your arm to get you to give because of the guilt that I place on you, when you walk away, that's only, you're only going to be full of resentment and rebellion. Can I tell you that that's why I don't preach Malachi and a tithe of 10% because it places guilt on people and all they're going to do is resent it and rebel against it. Plus it's under the law. Plus it was the whole book of Malachi is written to the Levitical priesthood, not to the children of Israel. Go read Malachi 1.1. Malachi tells you who he's writing to. The whole book is to the Levitical priesthood that's not even in existence anymore. And so the command and the demand of the law was upon them, not to the children of Israel. And it says tithes, not tithe. And if you want to add the tithes up that they had under the old covenant, it was 25% and every seven years it went to 35%. You want me to preach a tithe? No, because it guilts people and it puts them under condemnation. And man, I grew up under preaching that if you don't do this, you're cursed, your bumper's going to fall off, your car's going to end up out in the swamp when you get out of church. I'm telling the truth. And I did it for years. And guess what? Because I did it out of a heart of sincerity and trying to please God, the principle still worked. But I was resentful. And then I, eventually I rebelled against it. But when you give out of the grace of God, because the grace of God has been applied to your life, it produces rest and the results that you're looking for. And Zacchaeus' generosity came from what he had, not what, from what he didn't have. Our giving, listen to this, should be motivated by love not manipulated by a law. See, I have friends right now that I've talked to that say, well, you need to preach a tithe. If your people aren't tithing, you need to preach a tithe. So you want me to put them back under condemnation. I ain't going to do it. I've experienced too much freedom, and I'm not going back 
to live under any type of law because listen, Galatians 5 tells me that the curse was hung on the tree and I'm not under any curse. And if Balaam couldn't curse what God had blessed in the old covenant, I know you can't be cursed under the blessing of God in the new covenant because it's a better blood with better promises. Mm. Good stuff. So under the law or the command, I gave because I wanted God to accept me and rebuke the devourer on my behalf. But now Jesus has already done that for me, and it's not a duty that I end up resenting, it's a privilege that I'm enjoying. Because I've been accepted. Under law, I gave the least that I could to be pleasing to God and to others. And now, under grace, I give as much as I can to express my gratitude for what He's done to me towards me. Listen, I'm given a whole lot more on accident than I ever gave on purpose. And I know you are too because stinginess always manifests in those who are being manipulated by demand. If I'm manipulating you with a demand, you're going to be stingy. You're going to be stingy with your kindness. You're going to be stingy with your love. You're going to be stingy with your long suffering. You're going to be stingy with your money. Because that's what manifests under a law. But I'm going to preach to you 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, verses 6 and 7. I think that clock has been stuck on 15 till for about five weeks now. So I just keep preaching. I keep saying that it's 15 till. I don't know what time it is, so I just keep preaching. But I just now, for the first time, saw in the bottom right-hand corner of that TV... That's the time, not the scripture reference. So it is 11.10 if you're keeping track. <laughs> Just now saw that. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7, if you guys will come to the music, please. This is what Paul says. Remember this. Whosoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But whoever sows, here's that word, generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. The King James here says, not out of necessity to a law, but because God loves a cheerful giver. God... God loves us all, but his eye is on the one that gives out of the decision of their own heart to be generous with what they have and not being stingy because, see, the Pharisees were stingy. They only wanted to give a certain amount, but the widow was generous. She gave all that she had. I'm not telling you to give all that you have this morning. I'm telling you to give as you purpose, as you decide in your heart where the Holy Spirit has taken up residence and He leads and guides you. Um, my personal relationship with the Lord is not based upon how you view me. Your personal relationship with the Lord is not based upon any command or demand that I would give or place upon you. It's between you and the Lord. 
Zacchaeus is a picture of generosity. Watch this. His gift was unrequested. The Lord's not requesting anything of you today. But to obey the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of you as a believer. It's unreserved. In other words, it's liberal. That's the definition of generosity. It's spontaneous spontaneous, and it's voluntary. His gift was an expression of his gratitude. Can we sing that again? It's gratitude. That's what we're going to sing again because when I don't have anything left but a hallelujah, I can still express my gratitude. And it is a gift. His gift was an example of what it was to be cheerful as a giver. I mean, he was excited and filled with joy just because Jesus was going to come and sit down and have a dinner with him. He didn't know what was going to transpire. It wasn't on Zacchaeus' mind when he made haste to go to his house and prepare the meal that he was going to say, oh yeah, I'm going to give half of my income away today and I'm going to bless all those that I've cheated from. I'm going to give you four times back what I stole from you. I I don't think that was on Zacchaeus' mind when he came down from the tree. I think this is what Zacchaeus wanted when he climbed up in the tree to see Jesus. Acceptance and affirmation. He wanted to be accepted in his community. He wanted affirmation that he wasn't getting from any place else. And then when Jesus blessed him with his presence and affirmed him and accepted him by by going to his house, see the religious law of the day said you couldn't eat with a tax collector. They were unclean. And so if you had a, a meal with them, you made yourself unclean. Let me tell you something about my Jesus. Let me tell you something about you. The unclean spirits don't get on you. The goodness of God gets on those with unclean spirits and they are transformed by the power of God that lives in you. And when Jesus sat down with publicans and sinners, their lives were forever changed. Don't think that that precept has changed. I believe it's the same today that as we show people affirmation, acceptance, and affection, it will change their lives forever. And then they will, with spontaneity, become generous in the way that they give. Amen? Let's stand together. Let's see what Holy Spirit wants to do in our hearts and lives over the next few minutes. Would you just close your eyes and begin to imagine? This is the scene. If you can just see it in your imagination right now, that you are seated reclining at the table and Jesus is your guest. And His loving, tender kindness is flowing forth right now as you eat and you drink with Him and you're listening to every word, you're clinging to every word that He says. And the Father has promised that He watches over every word, all of His words, and and He will perform it. He won't tell you anything that He can't perform because He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And one translation says, even imagine. What are you imagining right now? See, because I believe that the windows of heaven have been opened. 
and he has poured out a blessing on you and now he wants to open you as a window of heaven to pour out love and acceptance and affirmation grace favor and finances as he leads you man I'm I, I can see the picture in my mind right now of Jesus sitting at the table and as I do that I don't know about you but I, I just in the last few seconds an overwhelming sense of peace has flooded my soul I'm at complete rest knowing that Jesus is in the room and he's sharing he came eating and drinking sharing a meal will you allow the Holy Spirit to transform your heart and your mind right now Zacchaeus was considered a sinner in that culture he was considered a sinner I don't see him praying any prayer that anybody told him to pray although there's nothing wrong with that don't see him signing any cards I don't see him making any great confession I just see him resting in the presence of Jesus and then acting on what he had learned from Jesus at that table because his heart was transformed in that moment Holy Spirit, transform our hearts. Melt all the hardness away. And as a response to what you're doing in our lives, we want to spontaneously worship you with gratitude. So we pour out our thanks to you. As we sing this together, you respond. If you want to come to the altar, if you want to stand, kneel, sit, you respond as we worship them. We'll pray together. Oh